saying. The fifth fundamental principle. <laughs> so we're at five. Is that it is fitting to serve and exalt God and publicize His greatness and the obligation to serve Him. Okay. This is not true of all of the spiritual beings in a lower rung than he. The angels, the stars, the heavenly spheres, the elements. I don't know why he put spiritual. The spheres and the elements are not spiritual. Or any combination of them. For all of these entities have been given a specific nature according to which they conduct themselves. They have no choice, authority nor choice. These are the sole province of God. Blessed be he. So, who is the only one we should serve or worship? God. God. Why? Because he... Because we are only able to do the things we do because of God, so. Okay, that's not bad. Is there anything else is idol worship? That is not a good explanation. Right. It's like, you can't do that, it's forbidden. Why? <laughs> because the Torah doesn't say you can do it. It says you can't do it. Okay, but like, you haven't explained, like, why. You just explained, you just said that. Why, why, why? Because they're all God. They're not all God. They can't be God. We already established that oh, yeah, God is not right. made of parts. So God. these can't be parts. <laughs> There's nothing else to serve. There is nothing else to serve. Right. So, so that's your only option. Right, right. So I think we're going to develop this, but I think the starting point is to understand he's making a, a logical point. There is only one thing that is, as he put it here, um, fitting to serve. There is only one thing that we are ob obligated to serve, right? And so if you're serving anything else, you are making a categorical error, right? If you start talking to the wall like it's your best friend, more than the fact that you are doing something wrong, you are doing something foolish. You are doing something that's nonsensical, right? Because the wall is not a sentient being that you should be speaking to, right? Again, you want to face the wall and talk to yourself, that's fine. <laughs> But don't talk to the wall, like literally expecting it to like hear what you're saying and you know, empathize with you. It's a wall, right? It's an animate object. Okay. If you treat something based on characteristics that it does not have and could never have and it's precluded from having, mm -hmm. you are making a fundamental error, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the only being that is deserving and entitled to our service, our worship? God. Now, the question is why? Right? What is, so the, the, only, you know, the only one who is available for worship is God. The only one who deserves worship is God. The only one who has an obligation to worship is God. Okay, but what is it about God that differentiates God from everything else? Well, God is uh, like, the spheros. He doesn't mention spheros because there's no Kabbalah in this text. Oh. Right, but he doesn't say. I mean, he could have said, he, um, God poses his greatness and the obligation to serve him. This is not true of all the other beings, for all these beings are not truly one. He doesn't say they're not truly one. Mm -hmm. doesn't say all these other beings. He's the highest. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it doesn't say no. that either. No. They have no authority. They have no choice. They have no authority. They have no choice. Ooh. Now, I, that's the, what the text actually says. I want to talk about the higher thing because the higher thing is actually a little bit of a dangerous idea. 
if I say um, that you shouldn't worship these beings because they're not the highest, you run into a problem that that implies that the higher you are, the more deserving you are of worship, and then it becomes a matter of degree. Mm-hmm. And so the highest thing you conceive of deserves your worship. Right? It needs to be something that, 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 that's categorical. Mm-hmm. He has it, they don't. And what is that? Authority or choice. These are the sole province of God. Good? Okay. Can someone ask me an important, significant question about this text? Okay, that's the, that, that question does relate to that issue. Why is that a problematic idea? Like, we think we have authority and choice. We think we have authority and choice, don't we? Yeah. We're told we have free will. Mm-hmm. Does the Rambam think, the Rambam who wrote this text, does he think we have authority and choice? It says not. Well, I feel like he's anti-free will. Oh, no, he is so free will, you have no idea. <laughs> oh, Libertarian. Yes. Um, in fact, <laughs> in fact I, I actually have to read the text. I'm sorry. I didn't plan to teach you this text. So I just have to run and get it. But I have to read you the text because I think it's important to put it in context. Same round This is the laws of Chuva. Um, The Rambam, by the way, is not known for his politically correct speech, by the way, okay? (laughs) Authority is given to every person. If they choose to turn themselves to goodness and to be righteous, they have that authority. If they choose to turn themselves to wickedness and be evil, they have that authority. This is what is written in the Torah. Now man will be like one of us, knowing good and evil. Meaning to say that this species of creature of man is unique in the world, and there is nothing similar to him in the sense that he can conduct himself of his own um, volition. Mm-hmm. He has knowledge of good and evil and he can do what he desires. And nothing can prevent him from exercising that authority of what doing good or evil. Um, do not consider the thought that the fools of the nations of the world and most um, dunces of the Jewish people say, which is God decrees whether a person from the beginning of their birth or creation will be good or evil. This is not true. Rather, each person is capable of being as righteous as Moses or as wicked as Yeruvim. To be wise or foolish, to be compassionate or cruel, to be stingy or generous, and any other moral attribute. There is no one who is compelling them, no one who's decreed this upon them, no one who's pulling them along one of these paths. Rather, they themselves of their own accord choose which path they wish. Um, This is reflected in the prophecy of Jeremiah, which says um, that not from the supernal mouth, meaning of God, comes the good or the evil, meaning to say that the creator does not decree upon a person whether to be good or evil. And as such it comes out that the sinner has caused their own loss. Therefore, it is appropriate to cry and to mourn upon what one has done to their own soul and brought the evil upon their self. And then he goes on to discuss the importance of tshuva. I'm skipping a little bit. This is the most fundamental principle on which the entire Torah mitzvahs stand. So we're learning the 13 principles of Judaism. They stand on one other principle, which is? Free will. Free will. Why? As the verse says, I place before you life and good, uh, I good, life and good, death and evil. And the verse goes on to say, I place before you blessing and curse, meaning that it is, you have the authority to go as you desire, um, whether in the deeds of man and good or evil. Um, 
And then he goes on the next part to say, if it would be that God would have decreed upon the person who breaches or wicked, or there would be some force that compels a person one way or the other to one of these virtues or attributes, okay, as um, the fools and stargazers, assuming astrologers, think, how could God then command through his prophets, do this and don't do that, if you don't have the authority over yourself to comply? The very notion of a religion presupposes that what? Okay. So, he, he spends quite a few chapters on this topic. Chapter 5 is about this. Chapter 6 is about this topic. Chapter 7 is about this topic. Three chapters exploring the importance and significance of free will and dispelling any notion that there's anything in Judaism that undermines that. Mm-hmm. So I go back and ask you, is God unique in this regard that only he has authority? No. So the Ram just forgot what he wrote over here? He wasn't paying attention? Or conversely, we can worship human beings in addition to God? Well, he gives us our free choice? Very good. Very good. Now, this needs to be developed a bit. I'm not going to read inside, but this needs to be developed a bit. What's the difference between our free choice and God's free choice? Are they the same thing? No. They're not the same thing. They are similar in a certain way but they're not the same thing. And they're more similar in what they're not than what they are. We're given options. Like a child could be given options. He can't just like, I want to go to Tibet tomorrow. So like he has options in front of him. We have options in front of us. Mm, Given by God. No. No. There are Jewish theologians that would make that point of view. Kabbalah would maybe argue that. Hasidus definitely would hold that the question of options is, is something that would differentiate, possibly. The Rambam wouldn't, for example, want to get into. Okay. This is more fundamental. Okay. Everything has a nature. That's what he says, right? He, notice he, he contrasts the um, having a specific nature versus having authority and choice, yes? Okay. What is the nature of a human being? No, so, so this is important. When, we, when we're speaking about the nature of something, we are speaking about the tendencies that it has by virtue of what it is. That does not mean it always occurs. So I'm gonna give you an example of something that is natural for human beings, language. Mm-hmm. Language is a natural faculty of human beings. If you encounter a human being who has no actual use of language, they are gonna go into one of two categories, and I'm gonna just be blunt. Undeveloped or broken. In other words, either the language faculty has not manifest yet, such as my one-month-old, right? Or something has gone wrong, mm-hmm. and thus language is not manifesting. Which is why, like, parents, when they see their toddlers aren't talking, they take them to the doctor. They don't say, hmm, I guess this one's not a talking one. <laughs> you don't think that way. Because it is, a, it is a nature of people to use language. Now, by the way, um, it's not the nature of people to read in the same way. You actually have to go actively teach people to read. Every human society is linguistic. Very few human societies um, were broadly literate because that's actually something that's artificial. Now you could say it's in the nature of people to be able to be taught to read, but people don't just pick up reading innately, but they do pick up language innately. Make sense? Okay. So, so there's different layers of nature. There's the natu- a natural faculty versus a natural capacity. We have a natural faculty of language. That's why it just comes out automatically. But we have a natural capacity to learn to, be t- to read. 
but we need to actually be taught. So, like, because, like, I was going to say, like, or, like, we, like an, it's nature of human being to create art. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Create art. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, there's also, now you can, all philosophers get into things, how should we rank these things, but there's certain things in the nature of human being. That's why, for instance, if you want to make like a fictional character and you want to make them seem human, you need to figure out what are the natural characteristics of human beings. So emotional bonds, right? Some degree of creativity, expressiveness, right? Some notion of virtue, of a code, right? That's why we want to make our, our antiheroes seem like people, right? We need to give them some sort of like internal ethic, mm-hmm. right? You know, whatever it is, even if it's really messed up and immoral, right? Some notion of, like there's all sorts of things, right? And we can debate what they are and categorize them and whatever, but there's a nature to be. Okay. One of the natures of a human being is that how are our, how are our actions regulated? Mm-hmm. Through our own? Emotion? No, no. Not through our emotions. What? Through our through our reasoning. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to use the word intellect because that's a little misleading. Through our reasoning. Okay. For instance, let's take an example. As an adult, okay, if you become highly emotional, and just do something, right, and then people blame you for it afterwards, you feel it's a little bit unfair, because you're like, but but I wasn't what. I wasn't thinking as if somehow that's not my doing. Mm -hmm. And the counter argument is, by the way, what? What's with the counter argument? You right. You're there. Not so much that you reasoned your way into that action per se, but your reasoning allowed you to get to that state of intense emotionality, Mm -hmm. and therefore you do have some degree of culpability or quite a bit of culpability. Different. Now, what would be an example of somebody that doesn't? Their action is not regulated by their reasoning. Babies, babies yeah, and even bigger babies, right? You know, children, children. right? Okay. At, at what point does the Torah think that a human being is sufficiently developed that this nature is manifest on a, on at least a basic level? Yeah, that's right. Bar right. By thirteen, twelve or thirteen, as a general rule, you know, if nothing is wrong then what should be the case? That what's regulating them is their own reasoning about mm-hmm. things. And here's the interesting thing about reasoning. Reasoning is something that you can exert willful control over. You can choose to think differently about things. You can choose to view things differently, right? That's how we calm ourselves down. That's how we stay calm. That's how we are able to muster courage in the face of fear, etc., etc., etc. That's how we decide to do things even though we're not in the mood, right? If that's not how you're operating, you're either still a child, there's something has gone wrong, maybe with you individually or the society has like interfered, I don't know what, mm-hmm. or you're not a human being, right? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. A child is a potential human being. Human being and potential. No, it's not all of the nature is fully actualized yet. Now, that doesn't mean that they're worthless. Because we could say the worth is in the being, not in the actualization, and then you avoid that problem. Okay? This makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So is our free choice part of our nature? Yes. Yes. God designed us, the way Rama put it, as animals 
Okay, I don't make clear what I mean. Animals are beings that act in the world in pursuit of their aims, driven by emotion and experience reality, right? So they see, they taste. More sophisticated ones even make models of the world. So they have a sense of where things are. This is my, like dogs have a sense, this is my owner, whatever it is, placed in, their, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in the troop of the chimpanzees, right? And then, so there's an intake, there's drives, there's emotions, right? And they move around the world and try and, you know, that's an animal. What's different about a person? That all of that is subject to this process called reasoning, of which we have voluntarily control over. And you're saying like a gorilla doesn't have that? And a gorilla doesn't have that. Not that a gorilla doesn't have intelligence, but a gorilla does not have the ability to say, okay, I should stay calm in this situation. And not. That's the idea. That's that's what the Torah is saying when the Torah. I'm not making an empirical argument. I'm just saying that that's what the Torah is saying. Now, to be fair, um, there is no empirical evidence to the contrary. Okay, but that's, is that what we mean when we say God has free will? No. What do we mean when we say God has free will? Is there a structure to how God operates? In other words, we can can take a human being and we can say, okay, right, we have sensation, right? We have um, um, mind-body coordination, motor skills, right? We have mood and emotion, Right? We have mental models. And in that sense, all these things, there's more or less the same degree of animals. And then on top of that, we have this volitional reasoning process. And it's that God creating and imbuing us with that that gives this phenomena of autonomy and authority over yourself, right? In other words, we're designed that way, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Is that what, and then God makes sure that nothing as a general rule overtake, overcomes that, although on an individual basis, again, things can go wrong and break. It's like AI, like we designed AI to do it. Well, AI is a different thing altogether, okay. but, but in the sense that it is designed to function in a certain way and is, and is working according to design. Mm-hmm. So when we are exercising our free will, we are just acting, acting out our nature. Our nature is a much more complex and sophisticated nature, but it is still nonetheless can you decide that you would like to operate not according to this principle? Yes. No, you can't. But it's still decided. Because you're, you're still, you're, that, yeah. that oh, you're yeah, stuck you're right. in this framework, right? <laughs> what about God? Well, just one second. What about God? That's not, that's not the way it is by God. God is a being who's perfect in all manners of perfection, right? It has no parts, right? Has no bodily attributes, is not changing, right? And therefore, whatever volition Whatever authority and free will mean by God, it's something entirely different. It's just similar in the sense that we are, that there is no force controlling us. That notion of a force compelling us or controlling us, that's absent from us, right? We're being governed by a very sophisticated nature and there's no force obviously compelling or controlling God. But that's where the similarity ends. The similarity is in the negation of things, not in the positive description of what it is. And therefore, our free will is a kind of a nature. It's just a very sophisticated, profound kind of nature. But isn't our free will just like based on all the things that happened before us? No, like no, no. That would be denying the free will. Okay. That would be defining free will. And that's exactly why artificial intelligence is not, what, it's not free will. Artificial intelligence is entirely different. It's algorithmic. Free will is not algorithmic. Okay. Um, if you study modern physics or chemistry or a lot of these things, and you only know how to think algorithmically, it's very hard to understand free will. If you don't, it's actually very intuitive to understand free will. Anytime you tell a person to calm down and that makes sense to you, 
you're buying into this basic idea of free will, that there is this self-aware, volitional, self-regulating system on top of everything else. And you can use that to calm down. Yeah. Um, with these premises, then, um, like, does God not um, change his mind? Correct. Correct. God doesn't change his mind because, like, God doesn't change. Right. We just mean that there is no force compelling God to act the way he does. So he is truly free. Is there any structure that dictates how God has to operate? No, so he's truly free. So the structure of reality is ultimately only attributed to God. Everything can be embedded in, under the framework of God's will, and God's will is not subject to anything else, right? That's basically the idea. Whereas as much as a human being has free will, right? It's not, it's not free and ha- in that sense. It's not authority in that sense. The human being's free will is that they have a kind of personal autonomy over regulating their own experiences and emotions and behaviors within that kind of self-aware volitional reasoning structure that God embedded with us, assuming it's working properly. (laughs) It's not the same thing, right? And therefore, there are limits to it. And therefore, like the point at which you're like, you can't just, you can't. There's a point at which, right, the intensity of the motion overwhelms it, right? There's a point at which you don't have enough fuel to do it. You're too tired, right? Okay? There's, there's ways to break it, either through different social issues or met, you know, physical issues, right? Certain kinds of brain injury, you know? And God designed it that way. And God designed it that way. That's all part of the nature of this structure, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, a person who is sufficiently matured, again, the cutoff point in this is, is Bar Bas Mitzvah, 12 or 13, and who is consideredly sufficiently competent, and there's a term for this in halacha, um, then, yeah, within that circle, they have a tremendous amount of authority over themselves that makes them responsible for themselves. And when it comes to the moral virtues the Torah commands us, we are truly responsible for ourselves. But in the grand scheme of things, we do not have authority over reality. No, not at all. Okay? And I want to be very clear. This has nothing to do with the question if, if somebody steals your wallet, is that by divine decree or is that free will? That's like a separate issue. I realize that, that it's a, that, that, that's a separate issue. Because we're not talking about the events that God created. We're talking about a very, very simple thing. Mm-hmm. Reality itself is governed by what? God. God, God is governed by? Nothing. That's it. I, don't I have free will? Yeah, yeah, your free will is something that God has to design and imbue within you and is subject to a larger structure of the framework of reality. So it doesn't really count in this discussion. When we move to the discussion of tshuva, of your personal accountability to the commandments of the Torah, it becomes extremely relevant. You see what I'm saying? And then the question of like, how much does God dictate the individual events of my life and how much is it not up to God's will and plan? Uh, That's already like a totally different discussion called hashkacha, which we're not gonna get into right now. Okay? Because that's not really important to hear. So if you have a problem with reality, who should you take it up with? And if you take it up with anybody else, what are you? You're just talking the wrong. Yeah, you just like it's a category. <laughs> like, like, like. Everything else operates within a larger structure, except for God. God dictates that structure. So if you want to like deal with anything, that's who you should go to. That doesn't mean he's going to change it on your behalf. That's a totally separate discussion. Yeah. 
mean, what does it mean when he says, I understand the angels, but he says this, he includes stars, heavenly spheres, and elements as spiritual beings. The, well, the spiritual is actually put in by oh, the okay. translator. Anything that's bracketed is by the translator, and I want to quibble with the word spiritual. Okay. I, I don't think that that word really belongs there. Um, the translator probably would disagree with me for whatever reason, but we'll leave that aside. So, Got it. so is, he, is he just saying that there's an, there's a, else that would be right, the, right, and he's um, going and he's going down a list. In, 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 the, in the metaphysics of the Rambam, there's higher and lower order beings. The highest order being is obviously God, and then the one below that would be angels, and below that would be these things called spheres, and then there would be, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, um, the, the stars slash heavenly spheres. I'm not going to get into what the difference is between those two things. Um, and then the lowest thing would be the elements and combinations thereof. Which we are. Which we are, yes. What's the structure? The structure of reality is dictated by God, yes? Right. And the structure of reality is that sick things can be healed, yes? Mm -hmm. But the sick things are only healed when proper interventions occur. And you do not have the knowledge or access to those interventions. So therefore, within the God-defined structure of reality, the only way to avail yourself of healing would be to go to the doctor. So you're still like... You're still dependent on God. Yeah, okay. Right? The problem is we tend to think of God as like Superman who swoops in and like solves problems. Like, like no, that, that, that was never our discuss. That was not what we what we described God as, right? The fact, as a friend said, the fact that the medicine works is because of the structure of the reality as dictated by the will of God, right? Yeah. Okay. Which means, in theory, if there would be an exception to that, God in certain circumstances doesn't want the medicine to work, mm -hmm. then it won't. I don't know, like maybe you need to cross the sea and all of a sudden it's not liquidy anymore. It's just two solid walls on either side because you need to get across. That oh. could happen, right? Now, it's not that God changed his mind all of a sudden. That's his other issues. But in terms of the structure of reality, right? If I take this pen and I throw it across the room, the only reason it's going to go across the room is because God wills. Now, does that mean God like individually wills this marker as a separate? I don't know. Like, that's already mm -hmm. like a, a different question. But like, Whatever it is that, that causes that, that to be the way the world is at that point is due to the will of God. And so if the will of God were to be that the marker wouldn't fly across the room, but rather turn into a unicorn midway through and then fly out the window, then when I would throw it, that's what would happen, right? Okay, so like if I have a problem with the, the, the marker hitting me, ultimately, because the person throwing it in their free will is kind of like a secondary issue because all that is within the larger structure of reality as following the will of God. Like, is there not, like, because I'm, I'm thinking, like, the extreme case of this would be just, like, sitting in a room all day long, like, doing nothing, like, and, like, kind of, like, that's Why would true. you do that? I don't, I don't know, but I don't <laughs> That's silly. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, so you're availing yourself of all of God's creations, uh, right. and... I mean, if you sit in a, a yeah, if you sit in a room when you're sick and there's medicine outside, you're, like ignoring the will of God because you're like denying the structure of reality as God has willed it and expecting things to work differently. Right. So you, you're kind of like, A, you're somewhat, you know, delusional and B, you're, you're I think, you know, there's some heresy implicit in that, mm -hmm. no? 
and and the and the, the famous work Chayvus the, Olavaves, um, the the duties of the heart, which has a whole section on trust in God, makes this very point. Like to decide that you want ends without going through the means, as dis, as 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 God has set up, as God has dict. I don't set up is really the wrong words because it sounds like he's doing it in advance. As God has structured reality to be, is not just foolhardy; it's also rebellious. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to then look. Maybe, you know, now, what happens when you get conflicting messages? The Torah tells you one thing, and the, uh, my empirical observations are different. Okay, so that, that's a slightly different issue. Um, but, yeah. Like, this is, the, the notion... The, the notion that... The notion... The, This story is actually a slightly different story, but I'm going to change it relatively. Yeah. I was one time, this is not how it actually happened. I'm changing what, what was said and what I said, but the point is the same. I was new teaching in my notes. I was teaching part-time. I was privately tutoring someone at one point and then teaching one-two class in the men's program. And I was on one side of the base mattress. On the other side, there was a student who had been there for a while te- learning with a student who just arrived. And they were actually talking about Ishkacha Pratis, which I won't get into what that is. Um, but he, he said, you know, like sometimes special things happen and that's like, you know, that's, and I'm going to change Shkachbordas, like, well, that's, that's the will and authority of God. And then I just couldn't bear that and I screamed across the room that the fact that the chair still exists and you're not falling on the floor is also the will of God. Like, because you make a big deal and you notice it. It's like, no, reality itself is being dictated by God and nothing dictates to God. And therefore, his, what we mean by authority and free will and choice on his part is the absence of any defined rules that precede him. There's no embedded nature. By the way, the Hebrew word for nature is related to the same word to print a, to mint a coin, where you literally take a mold and you impose it on some raw material. That, that, that just, we have that. Our free will is part of our nature. And that's just not true of God. So there's no such thing as a miracle. Everything is just a miracle. There's, if the pen just fell onto the ground instead of went that way because of force, that would not be any more miraculous, technically. Correct and incorrect. Now, given everything I've said, you are correct. Okay. The problem is that the Torah does distinguish between miraculous and so-called natural events. Um, there's actually halacha consequences, such as when a miracle occurs, you need to make a blessing. If you go to a place where a miracle occurred, you need to make a blessing. Um, there's all sorts of, of things. Okay. So what you then have to say is, well, I guess what defines something as a miracle has to be like some other criteria within everything being dictated by God and every, the world always operating according to the God's will and God's structure that he imposes upon the world. Within that, there's apparently two categories of things. One we're going to call the quote natural order and one we're going to call the miraculous way of things. And, like, and then that becomes a whole theological discussion in its own right. Where he like specifically made an exception I, I don't, or something. Uh, there's what? a whole discussion as to, as to what, what would differentiate the two. Not everyone agrees. Clearly in Judaism there is a difference between the two. What the difference is, is a matter of tremendous debate. But within, the, but, within this context. But whatever you would yeah. say, uh, what we're talking about here, yeah. both things would have to be the same. They're both expressions of God's will dictating the structure of reality, and that nothing dictates to God that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm confused. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's about the same things, though. Probably not. Um, so, if... Like, reality is God's will, uh, and we, like, function within reality, then 
I don't understand how free will is a thing if God, if everything that happens is God's will. God, because God wills you to engage. And I'm going to, I'm going to specifically not use the word free will because if I use other words, God has a will that you, as a member of the human species, who is developed and, and healthy, mm-hmm. should function according to a volitional, self-aware rationalization process. Mm-hmm. We call that free will, which means you are aware of yourself. You can decide that you would like to change the balance of emotions and values within yourself and cause your, therefore your disposition, habits, and behaviors to be different through that kind of introspective process that we develop. And that's your nature as a human being. And, but that is God's will, that that should be the mode in which you operate. That's all. That's God's will. Wait, remember when you were just talking about the medicine? Yeah. And how, like, how, like, if you, if you don't go get the medicine, then it's against God's will? Well, it depends why you don't get the medicine. If you don't get the medicine and expect to get better, when God says, like, unless I say otherwise, medicine is the way to get better... That's another example is that there's a principle in halacha you're not allowed to rely on miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you need some clear instruction of God to, to rely on a miracle. Other than that, you're not allowed to rely on a miracle. So if God says, okay, I will the world to be that when you have a bacterial infection, right, to the degree that there's a consensus of the medical community that antibiotics is the appropriate treatment, you should only expect to get better by taking antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, I'm going to expect to get better without the antibiotics. Well, you're... you're that's going against God. Mm-hmm. Now, does that guarantee if you take the antibiotics, you're going to get better? Does that mean if you don't take the antibiotics, no, you'll get better? Because the medicine medical profession doesn't think it's like it works exactly like that, right? But for you to say the sound medical advice based on our understanding of the world, which God wants us to operate as rational beings and that the world has had some degree of predictability is that you should go take medicine and then you decide not to because God can heal you anyway. God says, I could, but I gave no indication that I would. <laughs> in fact, I gave every indication that I wouldn't. <laughs> so, like, that's, just like, you know, kids do this all the time. Like, can I have chocolate? No. Why? Well, I decided I don't think you should have chocolate. But you could give me the chocolate. That's right. But I have my reasons, and I'm not giving you the chocolate. But, but why not? I have my adult, you know, reasons that I don't want to share with you. And if you continue to insist on getting the chocolate, you're not being very obedient to me, are you? And insisting that I could do something different is beside the point. Yeah, then you're like telling God. But it's but is the question of like is God decreeing about every little action or not? Like that's 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 a different question than than our discussion and the basic issue of free will, right? If you, I'm being very blunt. If not you, if someone kills someone in a fit of rage, halacha would say they're liable. Mm-hmm. They're liable for murder. So why kill them in a fit of rage? Yeah. But what does that say about how you chose to go about your reasoning process that you could get to that kind of a fit of rage? Mm-hmm. You're responsible for that because that's a volitional process. So is a crime of passion just as equal to a premeditated thing? In terms of your ultimate liability and sinfulness, yes. Whether or not capital punishment can be imposed by the court is different. Okay. That, 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 that's a different discussion, yeah. Now, if we can say that there was something broken in the person's ability to to rationally self-regulate. Okay. But that's, it's like, yeah, this is the thing. By the way, I think in many secular legal systems, they also have this distinction, right? If, so, if, you, if something makes you so emotional, you're acting crazy, that's not yeah, insanity. 
That's not real, but the, the, the court doesn't accept that as insanity. What the court is saying is that there was something broken about you beforehand, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that your reaction is not is not a reaction that you could be reasonably held accountable for. Yeah. So that's a whole different thing, right? Or a child. So that's what we mean by say free will. Again, this notion of how micromanaged everything is and how much, like, that, that's an important and significant discussion, but it's, it's a matter of debate within Judaism, frankly. And it, we're dealing with fundamentals. Okay. Yeah. You are not, there's, God does not decree you will be a wicked person. God does not decree that you will sin. God does not decree that you will be a righteous person. God decrees that you will function according to this notion of self-aware, volitional, rational self-regulation. And therefore, if you end up sinning and you end up being wicked, you have only yourself to blame. That's it. But that is still a nature because like God had to dictate that. Whereas why are you like that and cats are not like that? That's up to God, right? There's no, there's no, no, no larger principle of dictating to God why that has to be the case. We haven't so gotten to worship though. I, another, I can just... I do want to move on to the, the question of worship, of serving God, because we haven't really talked about that. We were just discussing why he's deserving of worship. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the worship part itself. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so, what does it mean to serve God? I'm going to focus specifically on this. Okay, I, I know it's, we could we could pull apart each thing, ex- serve, exalt, publicize. I'm going to like ignore the exalt and publicize and subsume everything in this larger notion of service. In Hebrew, this word is um, avodas. We speak about avodas Hashem, that means service of God. It's also the word we actually use for worship of God, by the way. So we say idol worship is called. Uh, well, avodazar means foreign worship, which is the term we use for idol worship in Hebrew. But yeah. So, well, the word for worship and the word for service is the same word. That should tell us something that these are, as far as Jews are concerned, basically the same idea. What does it mean to worship? So that's when he says say service, we're going to talk, we mean serve in the sense of worship. Not like, you know, if you serve in the military, you're not, that's not necessarily worship. What does it mean to worship? That's obedience. We're saying you should only obey God and nobody else, like not your parents. Not the king? Mm, I think that's not true. The Torah is perfectly fine with you obeying. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Give me an example of something that people in our society worship. I will disagree, and I'll tell you why soon. Can you give me another example? Knowing that I already disagree with money, I would say I don't, do not know of anybody that worships money. People? At least in the yeah, sense that we have here. Celebrities? Nope. John nope. Jones. What? <laughs> okay, I want non-religious examples. Because that's going to be... Yes, you are right, but I want non-religious examples. Like their home? Nope. What? what? The sun? Like Love? Love. Maybe. Maybe. That's an interesting one. I have to think about that. I'm going to argue that as a general rule, there's almost nothing that people in modern society worship. Because, for Western yeah, because Western <laughs> sensibilities don't worship. Yeah. Maybe reason, maybe love, maybe, you know, uh, so I'm going to be an example of secular worship, okay? Have you ever heard, um, like, a, a true scientist, like, not someone who happens to work as a scientist, but, like, their whole life mm-hmm. is science and the research and the discovery? Have you ever heard them the way they talk about the universe? Mm-hmm. 
as if it's somehow like, it has intrinsic value on its own. And whatever value I have in my life is the, 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 the fact that I merited to discover a small piece of how this worked. Mm-hmm. Where's the value going? I'm using value, but it could be a few other things. We're mm-hmm. starting with value. Where's the value, which direction is the value flowing? Towards the human being. Towards the human being, no. From the universe towards, towards the human the person. Towards the person. So they're worshiping themselves and no, their own intellect. They're, no, they're not worshiping their intellect. They're worshiping themselves. No, they're not. They're not. No, they're not. They're worshiping the thing their intellect is able to perceive. The world. The the, the universe. And if you can, and so the idea is that. If, if, how would they view somebody who, who doesn't think it's important to understand the universe? They think less of them. They think less of them. You don't have value. Because the thing that confers value on a person is not the person, but the degree to which the universe has penetrated your skull. Here's the rule about things we worship. Worship is the way we feel and relate and act towards things where the flow... It's the Hebrew called the hashpah, the flow of whatever is significant is from them to us. So I'll give you an example. It used to be in feudal Europe, they had something called kings and nobles. Okay? And how did the law work? The I'm oversimplifying by that. I just want to get, I'm oversimplifying to make a point. It's more confident than making that speak. The king made laws and the nobles enforced the laws onto their feuds. Uh, no, feudal laws actually worked down. So like, it's like this. Your, your lord, whoever your lord is, they, they didn't really make laws. You know what they did? Decrees. They made decrees that conferred upon you particular privileges, using the word privileges, right? And dictated what your obligations were. But then the one above them did the same thing to them, right? Da, 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 all the way up to the king, right? That's the way this worked. So you have privileges and your privileges are granted to you on condition of meeting your obligations. Okay? How do we think of government working now? Yeah. We would like to have good lives. Human society is complicated. We should do this in a constructive manner. So we will find people who in theory are going to act on our behalfs uh, to mm-hmm. create structures that are beneficial to us. And therefore, we don't think of privileges. We think of, what's the word we use? Rights. Where's the value coming from? Because. The people. The legitimacy of the ruling bodies is coming from? The people. And therefore, as in many countries, including according to half of Israel's population now, when the government is not serving the interests of the people, it becomes illegitimate. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Money. Do people value money? Yes. yes. Do people maybe value money way too much? Yeah. Is that what we mean here in this context of worship? No. No, because where's the value going? Towards us. Towards yourself. No, where's the value? Where is the value starting and where is it ending up? Who's doing the valuing and who is being valued? We value the money. I value money. And because I value the money, that's what makes the money important. So right? ourselves. No, we're not worshiping. There's no worshiping. We it's a category area. We're not serving ourselves. In this notion of worship, there's no worshiping happening. Worship is where you are. I'm 
responding, reacting, acting in accordance with the notion that, which way are things flowing? From, from beyond you onto you. The king grants you privileges. Let me ask you a question. If it's too hot, what do you do? No, seriously, I'm asking you a very serious question. What do you do? Turn on the air conditioner, take off your sweater, whatever. Yeah. If it's too cold, what do you do? Put on a sweater. It's not, you know, if it's really cold, you turn on the heat, right? Okay. Um, if you're hungry, if there's no food, you go get some food. You go get some food, right? Go to the store, pick up some food, right? I'm asking, this is how we, uh, if you're bored, find an activity to entertain yourself. Okay. Now, let's go all the way back. Let's imagine that there's just you and there's no human developed society around you. There's just you and your family and you're hot. Because, I don't know, it's the summer and it's, you know, the middle of, you know, the Middle East. What do you do? Find a big leaf to fan yourself on. And it's still hot. There's no water around. Yeah, you're 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 in the Sinai Desert. I don't really know. You're in the Negev. Just like lie water. down, do nothing. <laughs> you accept the fact that it's hot. Yeah. What are you supposed to do about it? Yeah, it's Finland in the middle of December. It's cold. It's cold, and you can't find any wood. You're cold now. You, you just have to accept the fact that you're cold. You can try more but you're cold, right? Okay. You planted the crops and they didn't grow. Mm. You know that the crops might not grow and there's very little you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel when you're planting the crops? Not good. You, you kind of accept it already. You know, you 50% care. chance. You're, like, you know, you're not in charge. So you're, kind of like, yeah. you're not in charge. You feel very vulnerable, hopeful, concerned. Mm. What if someone were to tell you that there is a way to, I don't know, be in touch with whatever or whoever is in charge of whether it's hot or it is cold or the crops will grow. Would you like to be on their good side? Yeah. Oh yeah, you really want to be on their good side, right? What if you had a sense that there was, I don't know, something or someone that dictates whether civilization collapses? Mm-hmm. You would really want to be on their good side, right? And if they have dictates for you, you're like, okay, that's fine, I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. If they want, you know, if you want to be clear that like they're your priority and you have to, I don't know, like, I don't know, take your firstborn son and kill them to indicate that you have a good sense of where you stand in the structure of reality, you're going to be okay with that. I'm not kidding. Because you don't control reality, do you? You don't bestow value on things, do you? You don't dictate things, do you? Mm. You see how in the past few hundred years in the Western world we've tried to like undo that way of thinking fundamentally? No, no, no. Right? And the thing is, if you live in cities, it's really hard to have fear of God because of this. Because your whole experience of life is... Civilization. And, like, and dictate, like, you yeah, you don't... You, 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 yeah. We, 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 we restructure things to fit what we want, right? We build things based on what we value. Yeah, but you just said we don't have value? Now, it's, it's an, what was the value thing? Was... Where's the value? Which direction is the value right? coming from? Do I, is it that it is value because I value it or it is val- or, or the other way around? Something is giving me value. Well, if you're worshiping it, it's coming inward. Right, that's right. Yeah. I'll give you a very simple reason why there's sacrifices, which is a pretty universal human thing in non-secular yeah. societies. 
Okay? And I'm not saying that this is the only reason Judaism why they're sacrificed, but this is not a Hasidic reason. This is a very basic reason, and I don't, I don't mean to reduce it to this, but it is nonetheless true. If you have to take the things that your success seemingly depends on and turn them over because you're not in charge, you're really demonstrating and reinforcing how much you are not in charge and you do not control reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Now, the term makes a big deal that we don't do this with people. <laughs> but you can see the logic in doing it with people. And the more valuable the thing is to you, the more it becomes important to have sacrificial things around it. Which is why sacrifice is one of the, one of the key ideas of worship. It's not the only one, okay? So are you allowed to offer ritual sacrifices of any kind to any entity other than God? No. Because that is worship. Mm-hmm. So I, what do you mean? I can't sacrifice my time and money to pursue my goals? Like, no, that's not what we mean. We mean a religious notion of sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. You come in front of the being or what represents the being that is beyond you and greater than you, that bestows value, controls reality, right? That you literally have to acknowledge your own vulnerability and surrender in front of, and you say, I recognize my place vis-a-vis you. To demonstrate that and to reinforce that within myself, this thing that I value, I forego. Mm -hmm. And are you allowed to do that to the sun, to the moon, to logic, to the universe? To your parents? No, only to God. Here's another one. One of the modes of worship is bowing. Now, we bow for many reasons. We're talking about, again, bowing as a mode of worship, not bowing as a so sign of cultural respect. Now, traditionally, how would bowing work in the ancient world, in the Middle East especially? Anyone know? Or like a knee. Like no, not your knees. Not your knees. Flat, flat on the face. <laughs> like you, have, you have no standing. That's what it means. You literally have no standing. You get on your knees, you get down on your face, and you have no standing. Um, the Mongols had a very interesting practice when visitors would come to visit the Mongol royal court. You know, like Genghis Khan, those, you know, Kublai Khan, those types of people. They had a doorway. How tall was the doorway? About that tall. You had to crawl into the court because you have no standing in front of the great Khan. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. What do we do on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Yeah, you go on the floor. What do you do in the temple in addition to the sacrificial worship? You get on the floor. You get on the floor. Okay. Incense was part of this. Pouring wine is part of this. And other and, and by the way, so these are all included in the Voda, in worship. Now these are the worship that God assigns us. These are the practical level worship. Practical worship is sacrifices, bowing. Um incense and, uh, and um, uh, libations, which is pouring, pouring wine. I don't want to go into that one. It's a whole interesting thing. But the rule is also, any, in, if, if any act has been defined in that culture as a form of worship, it becomes forbidden for you to do as well, even if you don't intend it as worship. Okay. Setting up rocks. So let's say, I don't know, there's a, let's say there's a particular culture where like, they have a a statue that represents a being that they think should be worshipped. And the way they worship is by throwing rocks at it. 
and you're walking by and you're a good Jew and you want to show that you don't believe in these idols, are you allowed to take a rock and throw it at it? No. No. Because you are engaging in an act of worship, even though you don't mean it. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. By the way, that, 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 that is the actual sin of idol worship. If you are in a place where offering, um, where, 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 where putting, um, uh, what do you call it? A flower in your hair is understood to show that you recognize that this is a day of celebration to honor such a being. Are you allowed to put a flower in your hair on that day? Mm-hmm. No. So did Abraham, didn't, did, I haven't seen the story again since being here, but didn't he like destroy all the idols? So the Medrash so- says, the Medrash says that Abraham figured this stuff out and he went and broke all the idols. But By the way, I- if you go to the Israel Museum, you can see the idols from that era. It's really cool. So breaking the idols was also... That goes above and beyond. That's just not not worshiping. That's actually actively... Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, in fact, a good part of the Torah, according to Ramos, count 51 out of the 613 mitzvahs are directly pertaining to the physical act of idol worship or its adjacent things, of the biblical commandments. This is separate from the theological issue, which is what if you believe or feel that such a being should be related to that way, even if you don't act on it? That's the sin of having other gods, which is a mental and emotional sin. So bowing is okay in, if you go to Japan because it's a cultural practice. And it yeah, that bowing would be perfectly okay. fine. In fact, even more, there was times in, in, that they bowed in the ancient world simply as a sign of, of respect and recognizing a basic level of social hierarchy. So Avraham bowed down to the, 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 um, the B'nai Ches, the children of Ches, who he bought the, the, the burial plots in Hebron from. Um, so there, even in the angel, there, there's, there, you have to distinguish between this notion of worship and this notion of just kind of basic respect or social hierarchy, which is not, there is obviously gradations, but there is a point at which those two things are different. Um, yeah. Prayer is a manifestation of worship, which is why our sages say in the absence of the temple, prayer takes its place. Now, Hasidus has this whole idea about the spiritual growth and all this, but there's a very basic thing. What does it mean to pray to God? You're sacrificing your time. No. What are you doing? What is the entire thing of prayer? You, you ask, you, it has a three, right? Yeah. That's the technicalities. Uh, you're talking to God? No. That doesn't necessarily make it prayer. And you're acknowledging that like, the world and everything in it is in control, not by you, not by someone near you, but by God himself. Right, he controls the world. He, he's the one who determines what is valuable. He is the one who determines the functioning. And so the entire mode of prayer is fundamentally one of submission, mm-hmm. one of supplication. Now the structure of prayer is that one should praise and then ask and then thank, okay. But that's the structure. The Halakhically, what is the, pro- and, and therefore true, the true part of prayer, the highlight of prayer is Shemunasur. How is one supposed to be when they dive in Shemunasur, when they pray the, the, the actual real part of the prayer prayer? Like, what is, how is halacha described? What is, it supposed, what is it supposed to be like physically? Now move your feet. So halacha says, and this is, I think, start the general thing in the beginning, like a slave in front of their master. Imagine how a slave stands in front of their master. Still? Yeah. Upright, but kind of not like soldier upright, but kind of head down, Mm -hmm. right? I love you. That's not exactly the, the motions, right? Yeah. You really don't have a sense of this today. Yeah, like, it's hard. 
I will tell you a Hasidic story, which can be understood on many levels, but I'm going to use it for, for this, is that one of the great Hasidic mentors, known as a Mashpia in Chabad, when he was told that they had assassinated or gotten, they didn't assassinate, when they told that the Tsar had been deposed in Russia and there was no longer, no longer a Tsar, um, he cried. Now, the Tsars were not known to be great lovers of the Jewish people by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Why did he cry? He said, who will give us a sense of what it means that God is king? Yeah. Who will give us a sense of what it means that God is king? If you have a social yeah. construct of this in the way your society, like, an, like a genuine divinely appointed autocrat as the way you arrange your society, mm-hmm. you at least have some model to work That's off why, of. Because he's divinely, okay. Now, I mean, we didn't believe that he, whatever, was, if yeah, he was... But that was the thing, right? Yeah, like, that's the whole thing with like a monarchy is like, it's like when there was the, um, it's like the coronation for the king. Right. Like there was a part that they didn't show because it's like so divine or whatever, yeah. but they can't show it like on television. Really? Yeah. You, yeah. By the way, you, you're not allowed to attend the coronation as a general rule. Do you know why? Idol worship. It's idol worship. It's, Christian, it's a Christian ritual. The idea is that somehow the authority of God is being stowed through, the Christ, through, through their, their church. On this person? Yeah. As a whole. Yeah. I mean, what are we to do? We can control the weather now. We have AC. Well, you guess you have to realize that those times when the AC doesn't work and there's nothing you can do about it are important to reflect upon. <laughs> that the only reason the AC works when it does work really ultimately is beyond your control. Just like your free will is ultimately, not your, specifically how you use it, but the very existence of it is really beyond your control, right? One too many concussions and there goes your free will, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe reflect on that from time to time. It's humbling. Yes? I didn't give you a definition. I'm trying to describe it. Gotcha. And it's hard. And what I'm trying to illustrate is it's hard because we have really built a society away from that to go against that. Mm-hmm. Right? The notion of, say, humanism um, is that, no, the center of value is the person. What justifies things is how they affect our well-being. The notion of science not so much as an inquiry and a religious journey, which there is an element of that that was much, but as that which gaining the knowledge to engage in the engineering processes to restructure our society to our will, those things cut against this feeling. And you build a whole society around these things, it becomes harder and harder to have a sense of it. By the way, I'll just give you a point. Why is it that like, we get weirded out when there's like a religious movement with like a central leader? Yeah. Like, because, because they're not Hashem. Yeah. No, that's not why. Because we're secular. Who we? Do you know how I know this? Society. Because way back in the day, when societies weren't secular, people didn't get weirded out about that. They got weirded out about maybe certain specifics here and specifics there, but the idea of religious movement with central leaders. Have you heard of, like, the Exodus with this Moses guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Samuel? Yeah. David? Ezra? I can keep going, right? The Ariz- like, you can get, sometimes they go home, the specifics, but, like, the general notion that a, some person might end up being, like, a central focal point to help guide our worship. Right? That in and of itself is a problem. But we get problems with worship itself bothers us. Like when we get religious, we're coming to God and like, 
It's like, why do people, why, you know, people, there are some people who are really into praying. And I don't mean now saying they're Orthodox or not. There's a problem also in Orthodoxy too. Less of a problem, but it exists. Some people are very into praying. You know why? Be honest, right? You know, getting together, communal, some singing, get in touch with, you know, some spirituality, you know. If you find the right vibe, the right kind, it's, it's, you know, it does something that, you know, you can't get in other ways, right? Like for some people, they enjoy sports and it's, it's another, it's another, yeah. There's a, right? The prayers, they speak to me, they resonate with me, right? It makes me feel so elevated. There was a discussion in halacha um, about whether singing is appropriate during davening at all. Mm-hmm. Like, like singing together kind of thing. Do you know why? Because what is the point of coming together in shul and saying these prayers? It's fundamentally about... Serving God. That's right. And the fact that it resonates so with you and you feel yes, elevated. So we shouldn't do something that serves ourselves when we're trying to serve God. Yeah. Now, I, I, it's a complicated discussion. I don't mean to say, therefore, we can't sing. But, and, and to this very day, there are different communal differences. I, I, people don't know this, but the traditional Chabad approach to davening is not to do any singing. Did you know that? Seems like it. None. Like zero. So like niggins are not considered. So niggins are different. Niggins are aids, or aids are either understood as aids to contemplation or the unconscious result of contemplation and, 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 and being moved by your awareness of God. But singing as an activity, no. Now, the Rebbe made changes because the Rebbe felt that people need to be more connected to davening and, and started with Chabadas and the Rebbe approved it and, and it's changed. But like, when the Rebbe was chazan, like even L'chadodi, the, the, the song that everyone sings in the, in the Kabbalah Shabbos service Friday night, the Rebbe's L'chadodi sounded like this. L'chadodi, L'ikras Kala, Pnei Shabbos, We're speaking to God, saying important things, take it seriously. But the Rebbe also encouraged that. Like, okay, so I mean, I'm not saying it's... It, the, the fact that it has questionable and the question of to what degree and to what place and where is appropriate comes back to understanding this idea. So I, I, 100%, it is hard. It is really, really hard because... I mean... I'll give you an example from a totally different area of halacha that illustrates this. There's a mitzvah to honor your parents. You're familiar with this mitzvah? Mm-hmm. It's not a mitzvah to love your parents. It's a mitzvah to? Mm-hmm. There's a mitzvah to fear your parents. Did you know that? No. Okay. Let's start with the mitzvah of fearing your parents. What are some of the practical ramifications of the mitzvah of fearing your parents? You listen to their instructions? Not always. That actually... Well, that has some limits. No, actually, the mitzvah is primarily with adults, actually. Children, children are not obligated to mitzvah. So we're talking about you and me, not, not, not my little kids. My little kids, it's just educational to, like, train them in mitzvahs. The real mitzvah starts now as adults. Okay. You ever go home to your parents' house? Yeah. When you go home, do you offer to make your parents, like, coffee, tea? Do they like things like that? <laughs> I'm asking you, do they like them? Do they like coffee, tea, sandwiches? Well, learn. (laughs) Because the mitzvah of honoring your parents is to come and say, Mom, would you like some coffee? And then go make her the coffee. Mm -hmm. And included in that mitzvah is never to ask her to make you the coffee. Because you fear them? This is the the honoring of it. Right? Who is supposed to be... Wouldn't honoring your parents just generally be doing things that they want you to do? Just No, 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 no. No? No. No. It's actually about hierarchy. It's all centered around hierarchy. I don't have to call my mom every day. No, 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 no. It depends. Because now, calling your mother every day would be honoring her because that means you're taking her will seriously. Now, 
the question is, it's not an end-all and be-all of everything. There are things where, where this doesn't apply. Like, for instance, in who you marry, you don't have an obligation to honor your parents in who you marry, although you are, would be wise to take their advice if they're reasonable people because parents tend to know their children and it's worth consulting them. But there's no, like, you have to obey your parents in that regard. No, it's, it's, not, it's not as much of it to be. It's, it's, what would it mean if you knew that it was important to somebody that you call them regularly and you didn't just have time for it because you're busy with your stuff? Are you showing them that they are... They have a hierarchical position over you, and they deserve your 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 respect and your and you. no, yeah. right. that that's the issue. Okay, um, if they're carrying something, do you ask the, the help carry it? Do you ask them to help you carry stuff? It's a hard mitzvah, right? Let's get to fear. Um, and this is an important part, by the way, of every Jewish household. Every parent should have a place where they sit. And that place, once it's the parent's place to sit, what does that mean? You can't sit there? That's right. Um, are you allowed to voice your disagreement with your parents? No. Yeah. I'm going to come back to this in a second. But yes, if your parent says, we'll use politics, so that's a good thing. Your parent says, let's say your parent is very, very conservative. Your parent says, Trump was the greatest president ever. And you think Trump is the worst president ever. You're not allowed to say, no, 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 that's not right. What if they want you to do that? Okay, that's the exception. If they clearly indicate they want to engage with you in some sort of dialogue and discussion, then that's, then that's fine. If they indicate that they want to help you, then that's perfectly fine, right? They're allowed to forego these things, that, but it's their prerogative. You have to take their cue, right? But in the absence of, of them indicating that, then no. You, know, you have to know, like, you know. Um, are you allowed to agree with your parents? Agree? Agree. Yeah. No. What? This is the, I was building up just this halacha. Your parents say, Trump is the greatest president ever. And you say, yeah, man. Dad, mom, you're right. You're not allowed to do that either. You know why? They don't need your validation. You need theirs. There's a hierarchy here. It works from them to you, not the other way around. When you say, I agree with you, you are essentially saying that your opinion is comparable to their opinion. They don't need that. Now, is this like a natural way most of us in the Western world feel towards our parents? No. If you go to traditional societies, is this much more natural? Yeah. Not this thing, they have all the same exact halachas. God says that when you honor your parents, I consider as if you honor me. And on a basic level, there is, this is a kind of training when it comes to God. Worship is hard. Okay? And we, 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 we take the religion out of the religion very often. And I... I you know, when you say, oh, you know, it's really important to like be, you know, keep Shabbos because when you keep Shabbos, you have family time and like you're able to like take time out and relax and come together. And, and this is all true. I'm not, I'm being somewhat like, you know, disparaging to make a point. Why, why do we keep Shabbos? Like, aside from the fact God said so, but like more specifically, like within the concept of Judaism, what was the basic reason to keep Shabbos? It's worship. We are testifying to God as being the creator and the redeemer of the Jewish people. He made the world. It works according to his rules, right? 
And if he decides to select the people and to miraculously set them apart, well, it's his world, according to his rules. And that's the way it is. And that is a very fundamental point to get across to our children, to our family, integrated into our society. And therefore, what do we declare when we make Kiddush? One second. That. That's what we talk about, right? Yeah. Um, okay, and Pentas and the daughters are essentially bringing up this issue we disagree with, of not getting land. Mm. How does this play into this? Because you could go back with free will, and technically it's God's will for them to ask to make. Yeah, no, 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 no. But I mean, like, they are actually questioning authority in that case, and they were supposed to. Okay, so here's the rule we have a principle in Torah which is Torah Hivilimuda Nitzarach. This is Torah and I need to study it. I need to understand it. It's part of Torah. So, God has clearly indicated, and by the way, the, the Talmud elaborates what their claim was, which is maybe not the most politically correct claim, but I will, I will elaborate what the claims. God has clearly indicated that his will is that the land be apportioned to the Jewish people in accordance to with what system? Anyone know? No, that how, which portion you get was lottery, but how much? How should the land be divided? Like, like, according by to the tribes. Well, first by the tribes, and then after so that by the, the well, I'll call the clans, and then within those divisions, then what? The families. The patriarchal exactly. families, according to Sons. those who left Egypt. Okay. In other words, that's the structure of the society, right? There's one people divided into twelve tribes, divided into multiple clans, and then each clan is then divided into what's called the base of a patriarchal household, and those are enumerated based on those who left Egypt, okay? So every patriarchal household that left Egypt is entitled to one plot of land, good? There was a man named Slavchad who was entitled to a plot of land based on that principle, yes? He was dead, not a problem because the plot of land just goes according to the laws of inheritance, right? The problem with Slavchad is he had no sons. Mm -hmm. So he he wasn't assigned a portion. Notice what I said. He wasn't, he wasn't assigned a portion, not... His family. His family. Right, why, because, why wasn't he assigned a portion? He, he was dead. dead. And he had no daughter. And he had no sons. So he wasn't assigned a portion. And give the land to nobody. That doesn't make any sense. So comes along his daughters and say, Moshe, wait a minute. Something here doesn't make sense. If our father is one of these Beisavs, one of these patriarchal households, he is entitled to land. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to be alive to get the land, right? You just need somebody who who instantiates your, 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 you as a legal entity. Now, we have a principle in Judaism that your name, your, your sense of being a legal entity persists after your death um, through um, what is called your zera, which literally means your seed. So now, either we are considered zera and therefore we are the instantiation of our father's claim or we are not considered Zara. That's a binary, yes? Yes. In one way or the other. Mm-hmm. If we are considered Zara, well then we, the five of us, are joint holders of his estate. So we get the land. Mm-hmm. Fair enough? If we are not Zara, we have a principle, another mitzvah in the Torah, that when a man dies without Zara, his wife should have relations with his brother and the conceived child will be considered the Zara of the deceased man. Which means if we're not Zara, then our mother should marry our uncle and that that child gets the land. But this idea that our father gets no land wipes his name out from the tribes of Israel and that's not okay. It's a very sophisticated claim. And you are being inconsistent, Moshe. 
And Moshe's like, you have a good point. I will consult God. What you do in such a situation? It's totally different. Okay, there's a follow-up to the story, which is alluded to in the Torah. Now, remember how the poor land is supposed to be apportioned to the tribes, to the clans, to the father's households? You have a problem because tribal affiliation goes according to the father, right? And Jewish law works, and this is a whole different discussion, is that um, land is inherited by the sons of the father. So if these five women get married, have sons, who takes possession of the land? Their sons. Who aren't in that tribe. Who are not in that tribe. And thus the tribe is deprived of some of their tribal land. But they would get their father's land. But those fathers are not part of the tribe because the women have no yeah. obligation in general to marry <laughs> to the marry members of the tribe. tribe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, the tribe and, and when you usually take possession of the land, that has to be according to tribes. Later on, you can mess around with it because it all comes back in the end. There's this whole process of every 50 years, everything goes back. I don't want to go into this, but, but that, that was how... So, the, so that's what all the tribesmen of the daughters of Slavcha did. They came to Moshe and said, um, um, Moshe, there's this whole tribal thing. We need to make sure that the land is apportioned according to the tribes. They get married. They'll come into the land. It's not going to try. It's a tribal thing. Moshe's like, good point. You five women have to marry members of your tribe. That was, it's, it's, a, it's a very involved process based on the idea that God's will must be done and God's will must be coherent. And, and that is a Torah principle, yes. Submission to God's authority is submission to the fact that it has to be coherent. And when you don't understand its coherence, especially when you can't therefore act in accordance with the law properly, you need to ask. That's 100% true. That's not the same thing, I don't like it, and therefore I'm questioning it. Yeah. Which I know that we might want to use that story to illustrate that idea, but that's not how the story is understood in our tradition. It's understood these were very wise women, very devout women, who took the notion that God wanted the land divided in a certain way very seriously. And they made a very clever, reasoned argument that you have to pick one of these two options. You can't just erase our father's name from the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Well, were there other people who liked their father? Um, like, why was this... Oh, by the way, they make a point that his, he, he died not in, in Korach because Korach, the people died in Korach forfeited their portion. They, they, whoever died in Korach's rebellion was wiped out. They made a specific point that he, he, he died for his own issues. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it could be that I'm just not remembering the sages say, but one of the two things I have the case is either they were the only situation where this occurred, which is possible. I don't know what the statistical likelihood of that, but it is possible. Um, the other possibility is that they were the only ones who had the wisdom and the insight and the courage to bring the issue up to Moshe rather than just meekly ignoring the fact that something wrong is, it seems something wrong is being done. One of the two. But, yeah, they were unique. But see, this is not, this is not, this is actually follows from worship. If you take the king's word seriously and the king seems to, instruction seems to be incoherent, you best clarify what was intended before proceeding further. So. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, I understand that this is part of the service of God is the fear and the love on both sides. And I also get that the analogy of the parent, like that's something you should do, but it's not like it's training for God. But there are these moments where you can't take literally everything that's given to you. Like you have to, nothing's perfect, right? You have to question these things. But so not, you're saying it's not necessarily disagreement. Yeah. Asking, like bringing up something. Yeah. And then seeing how it. Yeah, and now there's a different, and, and each, like, 
you have to look at each thing. I'm just giving you a broad sense where you understand what we mean by worship, right? So I was speaking about worship in terms of like the worship in terms of practice, worship in terms of prayer, and worship in terms of the mindset that underlies all of those things. And pointing out how that's very, very different from this kind of secular humanistic mindset we built our society around. Um, and that that has to be attributed, that has to be directed at God and God alone. Um, and I brought up the, the, the parents thing as just a, as an illustration that, that, that that's one of the reasons why those, that mitzvah is not just hard in practice, which has always been hard in practice. This Talmudic sage is hard in practice. It, that mitzvah is actually hard for many of us conceptually because we don't really feel that our parents are somehow on a higher plane than us and that fundamentally, like there's a hierarchy between us. We just don't. Um, and, you know. Also, when you say that the act that the angels are doing all the time is worship? Like, that's a better that is a, of worship? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, that's understood that the angels are engaged in some kind of a worship of God. Whatever angels are, whatever they, yeah. Which, by the way, does mean they're not robots. Because <laughs> robots can't worship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is, yeah, worship. Um, so we should, by the way, what is the first act of worship we do as Jews? Anyone know? Or like daily. Pray. Specifically, Modani. Yeah. Modani. What is? How does? What is Modani? Thanking. Yeah, but I, I want to emphasize something very, very important about thanking. Acknowledging that I'm only up in the morning and alive still because God decided that I would wake up this morning. Right. An important element of thanking is the the sense of admitting your state of vulnerability vis-a-vis the other. That's why many people have a hard time with thanking and gratitude, and that's why in Hebrew, the word for thanking and the word for conceding are really the same. Lehodot means to acknowledge, to concede, to thank. It has all those connotations. And so what are you supposed to do in the morning? As the moment you become conscious, which is hard, but the moment you become conscious, what are you supposed to do? Sit up. Sit up. And you are supposed to reflect upon the fact that God is here and he's been here since before you get up and he has expectations of your service and he's been waiting, so to speak. So the only prayer that doesn't have to be That's right. And then you are supposed to put your head down slightly in that kind of submissive place and put your hands together. There's different opinions on how to do that so you don't look like a Christian. Like, I feel like if you did this, it would be a little Right, you should really do that, but the custom has been adopted not to do it like that. There's different views. The way, the way, the way I do it is like this. Some people have the, the custom of doing it like this. Some people have the custom of doing this. Like all sorts of weird things to just make it not look Christian because we don't like look Christian. Like, 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 yeah, but, but the way I heard that the previous service said do is do this with your fingers open like that. But whatever. And you're supposed to go like this. And then you are supposed to say, I acknowledge, you know, I acknowledge, right? I am grateful and I can see this point. This is true. Before you, what does Melchai Vakayim mean? Melech means he is sovereign. The authority lies with him, right? He rules not because we give him the, 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 the office, but because he is entitled to it because he's God. And he is living with no notion of death. And he is kind, he is established, he is fixed. There is no notion of him disappearing. That what? That you return my soul to me. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I woke up, nothing to do with me. <laughs> Your dictate. 
I can admit that. I can concede that. Oh, and um, this is a manifestation of what? Rabba Munasecha. How trustworthy you are. After all, when you went to bed, did you expect to get up in the morning? How trustworthy I am? Yeah, when you went to bed, did you expect to wake up in the morning? Yes. I trust God. As a general rule, does God, you know, is God trustworthy in that regard? Yes. Yeah. But it's important to realize, like, like imagine I give you some money and you give it back to me. That's showing how trustworthy you are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what happens every time. God is under no obligation to give you back your soul, and yet... As a general rule, he does, except for that, God forbid, one time that he doesn't, and the person's dead. <laughs> but up till then, he's been doing it, right? <laughs> and it's by his authority, and as a general, he's saying, yeah, yeah, you know, for, for an extended period of time, I will keep giving it back to you. There's a point at which it's going to end, I want to be clear, but until then, you can trust me to give it back to you. I'll wake you up. Shouldn't everyone uh, see that? Yeah. Like, like, now, just imagine if you took all of that seriously every day. We'd live a different life, right? Okay. Worship of God. Modani, the Rebbe's um, wife said that it was is the Rebbe's favorite prayer. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe told someone asked her, and she asked the Rebbe what's his favorite prayer, and he said Modani. Can you explain what, 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 one more time? What were the daughters of Safkat claiming? They were claiming that Moshe not giving a portion of land to their father's name would wipe his name out from what's the, the lineage. Because God wanted this land to be apportioned according to these patriarchal families. Not alive but that was never a problem. Everybody else, it just kept... Because it's not, it's not about him, the actual person. It's about his, 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 his name, his legal entity. And that's carried on through what's Zara. Zara is literally seed. And they said, if it's not us, then... So either we are or we're not. And if we're not, there's separate rules that apply to carry on someone's name. And those should be invoked. Like what, would, what, would be those, like, what would it look like? Yibum. That's what Yibum is. And then Yibum. they would just live where? I don't know. They'd have to find someone who was nice to them, I guess. What does a convert do in biblical Israel? Same thing. They're not entitled to land. What do the Levites do if the cities get too crowded? They're not entitled to, to actual land. They're just entitled to cities. and have to, the Cities in the ancient world were not the greatest of places, by the way. And that's it. Like, you, don't want to be, you don't have your own land. That's why the Levim were generally poor. But there were so many people whose name probably got wiped out, so that nope, was just nope, like... No? Nope. No? They, nope. they passed away? What? They were... Uh, you know, everybody who died... Had some children, okay. Right? It Every, was Or I guess this is... I mean, if God, if God himself takes away and there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do, right? But here the point is like, you know, there is a procedure in place. If someone dies in such a way that, there's, that Yibu is not an available option, that, that marrying the brother... Mm. Um, by the way, Jews continue to practice Yibum not in the, only in that way. If you look at the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, like there's a whole question like, who's she going to marry, this Boaz or this other guy? What's the issue there? The idea was, well, if her husband is dead, then the name goes back to the father. But the father was dead, so it goes back to... The closest relative, that's the one who's entitled, should be entitled to the estates, and that's the one who should marry her to carry on his name. That, that idea really did exist in Judaism. And so, halakhically, it's only mandated in a very specific case, but as an idea, it existed. And so, yeah, so, there was so this is a case that exists. Like, if a parent has no 
male descendants, it could go to the Daughters. Did this, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, now that's, that is the rule. The rule is that inherit is that daughters are called Zara, and so if a man has no sons, his daughters inherit him. Yeah. They take, but they, 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 they are, for all legal purposes, the father in terms of ownership. Because yeah, Jewish inheritance law works that you don't take possession of the estate, you are considered to be the instantiation of the estate holder. So there's no considered transfer of ownership. When you, which is why actually you cannot you cannot decide who inherits you. Because in, because the moment someone is dead, whoever Hashem set as the instantiation is is the owner. Okay. There's no moment of transfer. You can't like put it into a trust. No, you could do things to circumvent that process, but but you can't. Right? So like the way halachic will could work is like you could you could you could. Um, there's a few ways you could do this. One way you could do it is you could, um, you could transfer ownership of things to whoever you want before you die. Yeah. Like another way, true. another way you could do it is you could, um, you could agree to a extremely large debt because your 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 debts carry over in your estate. Extreme? So if what what extremely an extremely large debt that's more than all of your possessions unless. Certain things happen. You make a conditional debt. And since a person is allowed to adopt conditional debt volitionally, I can say, I am, I am accepting myself that I owe, you know, so-and-so a billion dollars unless the following conditions are met. And so then my inheritors will get nothing if they don't meet these conditions. And so then that, there's, there's also a little bit, but in principle, there's no, like, like the part of you that owned the property just now lives inside another person. And so like no transfer really happens. And that was the argument. Are we that or are we not that? If we are that, that we get the land. If we're not that, there's a procedure for producing someone like that. It's very clever. One more. Yeah, I have two you can choose. <laughs> Do you want that? So, like, okay, so the consensus, basically, like, if so, if we, yeah, like, if God creates everything, creates a structure, then we should not sit in our house except, uh, expecting the medicine, whatever. So, therefore, like, do we have to go to consensus, like like the COVID vaccine, for instance? There was a big debate about like. You want my personal opinion? <laughs> yeah, like consensus, like medically, for instance. My 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 personal opinion is that you look in the code of Jewish law, and the code of Jewish law is that we 